Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. So if you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at theexchangechurchhouston.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. In this message, you will be encouraged and challenged as you see what it means to get off your donkey and live a life full of compassion. We are in week number two of a series we started last week called Get Off Your Donkey. Look at your neighbor and say, get off your donkey. <laughs> now, today we're doing something. Uh, last week I mentioned uh, we were trying to uh, start live streaming. You know, we haven't done that. We, we haven't been in the right location, the right season, the right time. But today, and, and I wasn't going to say this earlier because I was afraid you would all stay home. But today we are testing our live stream uh, right there. Uh, some of you may have noticed that little thing hanging down from the... Uh, center of the ceiling. There you are. Uh, and TJ asked, if you are on the internet, please get off because it's slowing down our live stream. But, uh, everybody's like, yeah, we are, and I'm watching it live. So get off. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding, but he did say a lot of people got on our, our internet and slowed down. But we're testing it today, so those people that are able to watch it are just on our dream team page. So glad that you're here, and if anybody watches it live, we're testing the sound Right now, the sound is all going through the cameras. We don't have it hooked through the system yet. So it's a little bit of a work in progress, but it's pretty sweet. That one little camera is doing uh, the functions of like four or five cameras, and it's pretty awesome. So you have to go back and, and watch it and just see what it looks like. But we're in this series called Get Off Your Donkey, and uh, we wanted to preach the King James Version. But since we are live on the internet, we're not going to do that for fear of offending people. But it's the same point. Get off your donkey. We're, we were taught last week from Pastor Kevin that, that to, to get off your donkey, it's talking about having compassion and a compassion that moves us to action, right? And so that's what we're going to continue to talk about this morning. But before we go on, I just want permission to speak life into you. Okay? Now, as your pastor, I don't have it all together, and I know some of you know that. My wife really knows that. But, uh, you know, I, I too am a work in progress. Um, but what I do have is I have this calling that God is giving me, and that is to shepherd you. And one thing that's, that I've learned over the years is you can't shepherd sheep that don't want to be shepherded. Okay? So I can't bless, I can't speak life into, I can't teach unteachable people, right? And so people make that decision. Every week when we come into church, we make a decision. Am I teachable or not? Am I going to receive something or not? So I'm asking you this morning, will you let me impart something to you? Will you let me speak life into you this morning? Amen? Amen. amen. If somebody next to you didn't say amen, you kick them. You tell them, hey, let him preach to you. I'm just kidding. Don't kick them. We're going to continue in Luke chapter 10. If you would stand with me this morning. And this is a passage that Pastor Kevin brought last week. I spoke on this a little bit this summer, and but it's important that we bring, we come back to this spot because we're in a brand new location, a brand new church, and we have a brand new mission, uh, a very specific mission 
to our neighbors in the back, to our neighbors in the front. And so we have to make our presence known and, and reach people for Christ. Amen? Amen? And to do that, it's going to take some effort on our part to get off of our donkeys. And so this is Luke chapter 10, where this takes place. We're going to start in verse number 25. It says, on occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay? Mistake number one. I can preach a whole message on this right here. That was a bad move. You don't ever stand. You testing me? You testing me? That's probably what Jesus was saying. Really? You're going to test me in this? So this expert, he stands up to test Jesus. And he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you've got to remember, we talked about it a little bit last week. But between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that word that he uses right here for eternal life is aeon. Okay? A-I-O-N. And it's referenced about 500 times between the Old Testament and New Testament. And only four times is it talking about actual eternal life, like after death eternal life. Okay? The other times it's referencing eternal love, his endless love for us, and Things like that. So when he uses the word eternal life here, it's probably not exactly what we're thinking that it means. He's asking right here, right here, he's saying, Jesus, what do I have to do to have the most full life here on earth? What do I have to do to have the most abundant life? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want the most full life possible? Verse number 26, Jesus says, he says, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you'll have that full life that, I'm, that you're talking about. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, So who is my neighbor? Okay? Don't you do that? Come on, admit it. Everybody shake your hand even before I ask the question. Don't you look for loopholes, right? We look for loopholes and things, and, and we're like, well, okay, so you want me to do this? Right? Well, who actually is my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? In verse number, I don't know where that came from. That was the Holy Spirit. In verse number 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Everybody say other side, because that's important. I want you to get that. On the other side. So too, a Levite came, and when he came to the place, and he saw him, and he passed by on where? The other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he went out, uh, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these two do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
Father, God, we just trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with uh, uh, our, our families, God. And today we trust you that you're going to speak a very specific word to us, God. Lord, I pray that you speak a very specific word as, as we understand what to get off of our donkeys mean. God, I ask that this morning we'll, we'll understand, uh, uh, we'll have a new perspective of who our neighbor is and, and what that means and how it applies to us and what we can do with it as we walk out of this place, God. Father, I pray right now that you speak life to every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Have you ever felt dead? Like, not literally that you died, but have you ever felt just dead, like like you had no motivation for life? Have you ever been to a job where at some point in your job you're just like, okay, I'm over, right? And you just you're just done with life. It's, and we can we can get that way in our jobs. You young people, you get that way in school. Y'all been that way in school for a long time. So I didn't even talk about that with y'all. Y'all were over at junior high, but we can get that way in our marriages. We can get that way in our relationships. And we can get that way in church. Where we just go through life, we just go through the motions, and we're practically dead inside. What the, the truth of the matter is, though, that we need to wake up to this reality that we serve a God who brings life in dead situations, who brings hope. In very hopeless situations. We serve a God who can restore those things that are broken. Those things that are lost. Those things that we have, have completely given up in. God can restore those things. And he's called us to be a change in atmosphere. He's called us to change the atmosphere around. We're singing this song. And this is one of my favorite songs in the world. Don't get me wrong. It's one of my, and Elena kind of alluded to it as she was talking but one of the things that I always drive me crazy about that song is when it starts saying, we need your presence. We need your presence. No, I don't. I am your presence. I am a carrier of your presence. I don't need nothing because you are. You have given me everything I have need of. And my mission, my goal is to change the atmosphere around me because your presence. And when I walk into this place, your presence was here. Amen? You should be singing that same song. When you walk into this place, His presence walks in with you. You're a carrier of the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that powerful that we carry that presence with us? And, and so the atmosphere where we are should reflect who we are. Okay? It should reflect who we are because you're a carrier of the presence of God. We're called to make a difference. So Jesus is telling this story. Now you got to remember, the Jews had no idea where Jesus was going with this story. Okay, They weren't following along in their Bibles. They didn't look at uh, the top of their Bible and see the, the bold text that said the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, That didn't make sense to them. So they had no idea where Jesus is going. So they are listening intently to what he's saying. Jesus is asking him, you know, he's talking to him, and, and this expert tries to trick him. And he says, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. There's these men, and they're walking. So he starts to tell this story. So all these Jewish religious people, they start really listening. And they're in awe as he starts telling this story. So he starts off the story, and he introduced a priest and a Levite. They're leaving Jerusalem, going back to Jericho. Now, these are the Christian religious folk, okay? 
Can I say Pope? Is that alright? I know that's kind of weird to some of y'all. These are religious folk, okay? Now they don't, they're just going down out there. They just left the church house and they're going down back home, alright? All the folk, religious folk. Now they're coming back from this religious ceremony where they've just made these awesome offerings and these commitments and, and they've showed their dedication and devotion to the Lord. And they've proclaimed to the Lord, I am yours. I am yours. And, and that's what they've done. And now they're finished with that and they're actually leaving. In fact, they regularly, during this time, they practiced the drink offering, okay? Where they would pour out expensive oils and wines over the altar and they would offer that as a drink offering. And that's why it's really funny in this story that when Jesus is talking about the Good Samaritan and he's talking about the Good Samaritan got off his donkey and he started pouring the expensive oils and wines, it's kind of funny to them because the priest and the Levite just came from this ceremony where they're pouring these expensive wines over the altar and Jesus is trying to say, I don't care what you did in church, if it doesn't translate outside of church, then it means nothing to me. Oh, do you get that? So, so these religious people, they do it on the altar of the Lord. And that's enough. Hallelujah. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do it out there. I'm not interested in what you do inside these four walls. So, so he's, he's trying to get a point across here. These religious people just left church. And, and how many times are we just like that? That we leave church and we're inspired, and we're challenged, and we're encouraged, and we walk out of this church feeling that way, and we step right past the people that are hurting the most, that need us the most. I mean the people right there, the people right there, the people that you're about to go sit down and eat at their restaurant, and they're going to serve you dinner, and they're hurting, and they're broken, and they're bleeding spiritually, and they just need somebody to notice, somebody to have compassion, and a compassion that calls them to a point of action. That's all they're looking for. We come to church and we're inspired and motivated and we're ready to go. We walk out and we just walk right past them. Now, you got to remember the Jericho Road was a famous road and it was about 20 miles. Now, if you watch a lot of preachers, listen to a lot of podcasts, I've heard the Jericho Road was anywhere from 15 miles to 20 miles. Okay? Now, in all actuality, it was about 20 miles winding, but there were a couple paths that you could go straight over. Okay? You could, you could take a side trail and go straight over. They say that the Jericho Road would take approximately eight hours for a strong, robust male to, to go down this path. So that's the kind of road it was. Okay? It wasn't the easiest of roads. They didn't have uh, Nike shocks. Okay? So as they're going down these rocky terrain, you know, they were like, oh, this is not that bad. I should have worn my ankle brakes. Whatever. That's what I would have said. But uh, so it's a difficult road. So let me paint a picture for you. So from here to Minute Maid Park, Minute Maid Park, for those of you who don't know, that's where the uh, defending AL champ, division champions are. It's where we're currently 2-0 and in our American League Championship Series. Come on! We live in Houston, people! I thought we'd go somewhere with that one. I thought we'd start a Jericho march or something. We just, well, okay, they're winning. Praise the Lord. So, now, look at this picture that I have up on the Jericho Road. You can kind of see this path 
Because what you got to notice is that on one side of almost the entire road, because once you leave the city and you start going up, it's a 3,200-foot uh, difference in, in uh, elevation. Thank you. Okay? So it's a, a pretty good climb, and whether you're going up or down. It's a big elevation difference. So this road is a winding road. On one side, you're, you've got a rocky, mountainous hill. And on the other side, you've just got to drop so this is what's funny. So when Jesus said that the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side of the road, the Jewish readers who passed this road many, many, many times would look at him and go, what other side of the road? Do you see another side of the road? Okay? So, so Jesus is making a point here. And what he's is exposing here is he's wanting them to know that this Religious priest, this religious Levite, literally not only saw the man in need, but almost had to step completely over him. If he's in the road, there wasn't a big going around on the other side of the road. They're crossing right over him. I wonder how many damaged people and hurt people we pass every single day that we literally have to step over, that we probably even have to communicate with at some point or another, and we just go right on with our day. Right on with our day. Better yet, the hurting people in our families. The hurting people in our extended families. And you're probably like me, and you think, well, they won't listen to me. Okay? You, you said that before? There's people in my family that I know they're hurting and they're broken and they're wounded. And, and my initial reaction was they won't listen to me. And, and so then you start praying that God will send somebody in their life that they will listen to. Your job, my job, I'm going to try not to point my finger at you. Our job this morning is not, not to decide whether they will listen to you or not. Yeah. Our job is to just touch everybody on our Jericho Road Everybody that we come across on our Jericho Road. That's good. The Jericho Road exists in our lives, in our, in our offices, in our classrooms, in our hallways, at our dinner, dinner tables. The Jericho Road had a nickname, and it was called the Way of the Blood. Okay, the Way of Blood. People knew not to travel this road alone because it was a very dangerous road. Okay? There were often robbers. There was a lot of violence. The Jericho Road represents a place where there's violence, oppression, and where people are robbed of their dignity, robbed of their freedoms, robbed of their life. That's what the Jericho Road represents. We cross the Jericho Road every single day. We pass people on the Jericho Road every single day. So there are a couple of things I want to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. A couple of thoughts that happen when we see this parable, when we hear this parable brought to our attention about the, uh, the Jericho Road and these, the Good Samaritans. The first parable is this, that Jesus condemns non-involvement. Okay, This parable condemns non-involvement. We walk through life and we make excuses all the time. I was asking earlier, how often do we find loopholes? We find loopholes all the time. Okay? Well, I mean, I can find loopholes every day for everything. Every situation. It's not easy. We've been doing it our whole lives. Okay? We, since we were little kids and our parents were asking us to take out trash, we find loopholes. We, I mean, always. Peyton and Parker, man, they find loopholes. I'm like, okay, y'all clean up in here and pick up all that trash. They will literally pick it up and set it on the table. 
You pick up the tree. Have you, have you told me to pick it up? I picked it up. That's a loophole, people. Okay? And we laugh at them because they're three and four. You do it too. You do it all the time. So I was thinking about loopholes that we've created. And Pastor Kevin alluded to a few of these uh, last week. But one of the loopholes that we create is our safety. So we think, well, I would like to help this person. But if I do that, man, they could hurt me. They could rob me. They could they could turn their 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 knife on me. I, I remember when there was a time, a season where you pick up hitchhikers all the time. Nowadays, like it is like taboo. You don't pick up hitchhikers, okay? And, and why? Because there's a safety issue, and so that's a loophole that we found that that justifies that we don't have to. So we're looking for justification. One is safety. The second one is I don't have money. The number one way to bless someone is through giving. It's buying someone food, paying for rent, or buying someone clothes, or doing, doing things for them. And, and money is an easy way to be a blessing to people. And, and we use that as a loophole all the time. I would love, I would love to be a part of this and give. I just can't afford it right now. I just can't afford it. So I was Googling this week um, different things, uh, loopholes that we use to get out of stuff. And I, I Googled getting out of giving, how do we get out of giving, and this pastor, he makes a statement, he says, um, if you can't give to the needs of others because you can't afford it, it's because you're not a good money manager. Oh, I thought that might not make everybody happy, but I thought, how true is that? Because we can afford whatever it is we want, okay? We, we, we push things, we adjust things, we, we move, move money around, because if we want something, we get it. We can afford whatever we want, but we justify, I can't afford it, because it's a loophole to keep us from having to do anything. Shout me down when I'm preaching good. Another thing is time. Time. Okay, I, I want to, I just don't have time. I want to, I just don't have time right now. There's just so much going on. I just, I wish, I wish there were 30 hours in the day. Have you ever said that? Man, I wish there were 40 hours in the day. I could get so much done. I wish I didn't have to have sleep. If I didn't have to have sleep, I could do Another loophole is inconvenience. Inconvenience. I would stop and I would help, but I just don't have time. This week, Pastor Kevin and I were going to play golf. And I was in a hurry. I had a lot to do. I, I was working on this message. I just finished part of this message that morning. I ran to the daycare for something. I'm running, flying back up here. We have a tea time that afternoon. And I'm trying my best to get back over here so that I can pick up Kevin at my house to go play golf. And I get to the stoplight on the corner of Westlake Houston and Will Clayton, right there by Lifetime Fitness. And I'm in the turning lane and across the street at that gas station, there's this old man, he looks kind of homeless maybe, from a distance for sure, he had a pretty big beard, pretty long hair, and he's got a gas can, and people are driving by, and he's waving like this, I mean, he's like almost jumping out in the road, and I'm watching him, and he's like, whoa, stop, 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 and he's waving at people, he's like, just stop, everybody's passing, so all the cars pass by, and he's just standing there, and I'm thinking about this message. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, ah. <laughs> so I turn on my blinker to go around, and I'm fixing to text Pastor Kevin that I might be a couple minutes late because I'm going to run this guy wherever he needs to go. 
So I turn on my blinker to get in the other lane. As soon as I cross by, a black truck pulls up that's carrying a trailer with all the lawn equipment, like a lawn team. And they pull up, they talk to the guy, and he gets in their truck. And you know what my reaction was? <laughs> Why? Because it was inconvenient. It was inconveniencing me. I, I wanted to, I really wanted to help him, but I wanted to play golf more. Isn't that so true? Isn't that so true that we do that? And I'm, I'm being transparent here. You can judge me if you want. I don't care. But, but the point is, is we do that. And in that moment, I realized I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And we do it so subconsciously that it just happens. We don't even recognize that we're doing it. We're, it's like second nature to us. And I had to, I had to really think, turn on my blinker, change lanes. And I was going to go help you. And then somebody beat me to it and it freed up me. Don't we do that? Isn't that odd? You hear the story of Jesus is, is telling them, listen, I, I want you to take a step. I want you to get off your donkey and do something. Do something different. Change your plans. We've got to be people who stop looking for loopholes. Okay? We've got to stop looking for loopholes and start looking for, for opportunities or, or we can do something. There's two stories I want to talk about real fast that are kind of famous. Um, you can look them up. One happened, and some of you might remember this. I know most of you won't because we do have quite a bit of a younger church, but some of you might remember back in 1964. How many of you were alive in 1964? <laughs> Amen. Well, those nine of you, that, no, I'm just kidding. So, in 1964, for those of you young and that were here, back in 1964, there was a lady by the name of Kitty Genovese. Do y'all remember this story? Anybody? Okay, Kitty Genovese. She was brutally murdered at her apartment complex. Uh, back, I'm going to read, this is what it says on Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia is the resource. It says, two weeks after printing a short article on the attack, the New York Times published a longer report that conveyed a scene of indifference from neighbors who failed to come to Genevieve's aid, saying that 37 or 38 witnesses saw or heard the attack and did not call the police and did not get involved. The incident prompted inquiry, inquiries into what has become known as the bystander effect or the Genovese syndrome. Have y'all heard that? Isn't that ridiculous? This story became huge as it swept a nation and it became the symbol of a new epidemic or disease that was plaguing America called non-involvement. And then if you go on and you read this story more, the guy who murdered her, his name was Winston uh, Mosley. He grabs her, follows her home from work to robbery, grabs her, on, she parks in the train parking lot, walking into her apartment that are connected, and as she's walking into her apartment, he grabs her and he begins to stab her. People see her. People start yelling to let her go. He lets her go. He runs and he gets in his car and takes off. She staggers to the apartment complex, kind of disappears as she goes to the building, this guy comes back 10 minutes later. They see him. This is witnesses telling the police this. They saw him. 
looking all through the parking lot of the train station, looking all through the parking lot of the apartment complex, circles the apartment complex till he finds her. He finishes what he started. He raped her, stabbed her, and stole $47 from her. How did he get back and finish what he started? How did no one do anything? There was a professor at the famous Harvard School of Divinity. That's the theological center, center at the University of Harvard. And he was teaching a class, and it was called Christians and Society. And he prepped the class by saying that there's going to be a test at the end of the week. The test is going to be three hours long. You're going to have 90 minutes to do the first part. You're going to take a 10-minute break, 90 minutes to do the second part. So the students come in that day to take the test at the end of the week. And the test is entitled, Being a Moral Christian in an Immoral Society. So the test started, students are taking the test, they're, they're working hard, 90 minutes, the time is up. So as he's dismissing them, he makes it known to them, you have 10 minutes. You are to be back in the class in 10 minutes. If you're late, you fail. So they rush out of the class. They get into the courtyard and they find a man in the corner of the courtyard under a tree, bloody, beat up, and he's just left for dead. Because there was no time to help, they rushed back in class, and every one of them failed. The professor failed every one of them. He set it up. He put the man out there. He put the man out there beaten. He left him for dead, and that was the second half of their test. The professor says, you don't understand that the real test is life. The real test is life. So many times Christians flunk the test of life because we're so focused on looking good inside the four walls of our classroom that we call church. We're more concerned about what we look like, what we sound like, and that everybody comes in here and gathers in here. This is where we have to be. Let's become a mega church. Let's, let's start as many campuses as we can, and let's be big. But the fact is, the real test of life is not inside of this church. It's outside of this church. It's outside of these four walls. So Jesus condemns non-involvement. When I started in full-time ministry in 1997, I would hear people all the time say this. And, and I really heard it. And, and I always kind of wondered how you react as a pastor. But I would hear people say, uh, well, I'm leaving the church because I'm just not getting fed. Or I'm just not getting, you know, what I need at church. I'm just, let me tell you something. What we don't need at church is more scriptures, more sermons, more revivals, more Bible studies. I didn't expect many of you to say anything out loud. Do you think that's a trick question? But what we do need is to follow with what God asked us to do when he gave us the example of Jesus Christ. And that is to be that outside of the church. When we become that outside of the church, then those scriptures become relevant in our lives. Otherwise, those scriptures are void because we're not doing anything God intended us to do with the scriptures. So it's not about you getting more and more and more and more and more. It's about you being more and more and more and more and more. The second, the second thing that this parable teaches us is it teaches this parable is an invitation for us to show mercy, to be generous, and to have hearts of love for anybody. Somebody say anybody. Who is hurting on any of the Jericho roads of life. I'll leave that up there for a minute, TJ. This parable is an invitation for us to show mercy to mercy and to be generous, to have hearts of love for anybody who is hurting on any of the Jericho roads of life. 
That includes our enemies. I wasn't going to say it. Y'all said it. I can't even begin to explain the conversations that I've had with people who just feel like it's so important to um, repay violence with violence. Okay? Now, I believe in justice. Don't get me wrong. And I believe that people, there are people who need justice. But as Christians, you've got to understand that our justice doesn't always look like Jesus' justice. What if our justice started looking more like Jesus' justice? What would change? How would your justice change? Think about it. Many of our enemies who, who we want to murder, ISIS, some of the people we disagree with the most, some of the people that just get under our skin, the President of the United States, Hillary Clinton, those who kneel, those who stand, those who put up a fist, are the very people that he's asking us to sacrifice our lives for. The church needs to stop taking sides and sacrifice our own agendas and start bringing healing to a nation. You, you hear this, right? You hear this. When we, we hear it talked about, we hear it preached, but there's not many people doing anything. This story is kind of an oxymoron because you've got to remember that Jesus is telling a story to the Jews. And the hero that he uses in this story, the hero that he brings all the attention to, is the one person that the Jews universally hate. The Samaritan. Okay? And thank God they weren't following along in their Bible and they see the word good and Samaritan right beside each other. Because that would have been awful. They would have flipped the lid. They would have flipped the lid. They can't handle that. I mean, it ticked them off. It was an ugly, ugly statement when Jesus started doing that. Have you ever had ugly statements that just tick you off? It'd be like saying that the Houston, uh, that Houston hasn't had a real NFL team since the Lord's left. It'd be like saying that the Rockets would have won two titles even if Jordan didn't take two years off in retirement. <laughs> It'd have been like saying that Astros pitcher Luke Gregerson is clutch. <laughs> See, some of you are trying to catch up with me. Or don't worry, I know we're 2 and 0 right now, but the Astros will, will choke. Well, I've got my wife on that one. Here you go. The greatest team in all sports across America is NFL's American Dallas Cowboys. Okay. The point is, I know I've got it every one of you, at least once. I had to, if I was shooting. I was shooting a step on all of your toes at least once, and I did it. Because here's what's funny is, I have to admit this, but I build up an anger towards people who don't cheer for my team. Yeah, right. Last week when Dallas lost, I deleted five friends on Facebook. <laughs> was it ten? I'm not lying. I'm not lying. They start trash talking me and trashing me, and I'm like, delete. Delete, delete, I need your friendship. You laugh, I ain't playing. And, and two or three of them have already friend requested me, and I'm like, you kidding me? That'll be the day. Because I'm serious about my cowboys. I can tell you this. I was getting the kids ready for school. Shelly's been having to open at the center a lot lately, so she's leaving the house at like 5.15, 5.30. So I've been getting the kids ready and dressed. So we're getting dressed, and Peyton is screaming, and she's singing something, and so Parker just copies Peyton. So Parker's jumping up and down screaming, 
And I'm listening, and what she says is, we love the Texans, we love the Texans, because we're from Houston. That's not the end of the story. <laughs> so, the head of the house had to step in. And I said, what'd you just say? Come here. And I said, what'd you say? She said, we like Houston because we're from, we like the Texas, we're from Houston. I said, no, 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 come here. So I walked them into Parker's room. Most of you haven't seen Parker's room. You can go back on Facebook and look, because it's posted there somewhere. But Parker's room, I have grass all around the bottom half, hash marks. The top half is, is blue, like heaven. And, and there's a star, a giant star on one side, and a big fat head on the other side. And I took my kids in that room to see, see the star. That is the Dallas Cowboys, okay? They are from Texas. They're not only Texas team, they are America's team. And I said, and you will respect the Dallas Cowboys. And I know, I know where they're going with this. And I looked at them and I said, who, who told you to say that? She said, Mimi. Okay. okay. My mother in Okay. I'll see where you're going with this. Let's see if you eat for a week. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But when Shelly and I got married, I wore a Dallas Cowboys something over to the house when we were dating. And they let me know pretty fast that they're not fans of the Dallas Cowboys. But that was okay because her grandmother was, and that was all that mattered, all that mattered. And so before Shelly and I could get married, she had to see the light. And so I began to teach her and show her the way, and she's seen the light. She has seen the light. Praise God. She is redeemed and covered in love. But here's, but here's what's funny. Some of you are so aggravated at me right now because you cannot stand me talking about the Cowboys like that. We do that. We live in Texas. We live in this very competitive athletic state. You've got rivals like Texas A&M versus the Longhorns. Right? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Some of y'all don't care. Um, the Astros and the Rangers. That's a big deal. And then you've got the Texans and the Cowboys. Okay? There are dividing lines. There are walls that have been set that we can't cross. But Besides sports, we do that in politics, okay? I mean, we start, we start setting up walls in politics, like just because Jesus rode in on a donkey, he must be a Democrat. <laughs> or, or, or most Christians seem to vote Republican, so obviously Jesus was a Republican, right? Don't we do that? And we start setting up our wall, and you can't even have conversations and relationships with people because they don't think like you. They don't believe like you do. We have political rivals, rivals. We have political rivals, and we start to judge. We start to shut people out based on what they believe. And I'm not talking about just politics. I'm talking about religion. Okay? They don't believe the way we do. They don't sing the way we do. They don't stand the way we. They don't dress up in church. The pastor wore a freaking uh, Astros jersey on stage. Right? And we start to build up all these. Well, they wear a suit and tie. I'm not going to a church. They wear a suit and ties. And we, whatever it is, we start to build up all these walls of why we don't feel the way they do. So we end up having only relationships with people who think like us. And so then we think the world thinks like you do. But really, only your world thinks like you do. Not the whole world, just your world. 
Because you put yourself in a box where you're only surrounded with people who think like you do. Like for, and this is, I'm not playing, and, and this, you're going to laugh because you can sound like I'm playing, but I don't watch the Dallas Cowboys with all of you, okay? I don't. And I don't watch the Dallas Cowboys with my neighbor, who's one of my closest friends, Mike. I don't watch the Dallas Cowboys with him. He's not a fan. I watch the Dallas Cowboys with people who are in my world, who think like me, who feel like me, because it's a big deal. We do the same thing with every area in our life. Every walk in our life. We start to put up all kinds of walls. I thank God that I wasn't raised prejudiced. Because I watch what's going on right now in America and it blows my mind. Blows my mind just the race and the hate and the bitterness. and the. Yeah. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, most of my life, I never had white friends. I didn't have true white friends most of my life growing up. And so now I look back and I just go, how were these people raised to feel this way? Why were they raised to feel this way? Now, now I'm having to face it with my teenage daughter because she's starting to see just the ugliest side of people that has ever been displayed. I'm trying to explain to my black daughter how white people should be and are, how black people should be and are, and how there should not be this divide. This It doesn't make sense. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But what are we doing to stop it? What are we doing to change it? We have to learn to do life with people uh, that, that we see on our Jericho Road. Okay? Um, because we realize that Jesus got some pretty ugly labels, right? Jesus was never labeled a Bible thumper. He was never labeled a goody two-shoes. He was never labeled a religious freak. He was labeled a drunkard. Why? Because he did life with people like that. What if we started doing life with people that weren't just like us? We started doing life with people that just didn't believe just like us. And, and, and I've heard it preached both ways. I've heard it say, well, you have to, you know, what what uh, unionism with two people, you can't be uh, joined together. And you can't stay, you can't have a relationship with people who don't believe like you. That's right. And then how are you going to reach anybody? Because reaching people don't start with Bible thumping and preaching the gospel down their throat. It starts with relationship. Relationship first. You can't speak life into anybody unless they know you love them first. They don't care what your God can do and who your God is. They care, do you love me or not? Do you care about me or not? And when you have a relationship, then the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ can begin to flow because they'll receive it from somebody they trust or somebody they love. So you can't tell me that our job as Christians is to not have relationships with people outside this church. Maybe we should do life with people that we cross on our Jericho Road. So... I want to get off my donkey. And that's what I've been praying. God, what, what all do I have to do to get off my donkey? And here's some questions I want to ask you. How can I help bring healing to the racial issues that, that we see every day? How can I help bring a divided nation back together? How can I break religious stereotypes and the walls that divide churches every single day? Let me answer that question for you. Get off your donkey. 
Every one of us have a Jericho road that we're traveling in our world every day. Well, you know, I don't have the influence to bring a nation back together. You have the influence to bring your neighbors together. And if you don't, you should start that influence. Start that relationship so that you have an influence. People around us, they want to know if you're genuine. They want to know if you're real. They want to know if you're just playing church. You just If you have a hidden agenda, right? When you go and you start meeting your neighbors. I remember when I invited one of my neighbors to start playing uh, softball with us. His first question was, is it because you're trying to get me in church? That's what he asked me. I said, hey, you want to play on our softball team? It's a church team, blah, blah, blah. Are you trying to get me in church? Is that what you're trying to do? And my response was, no, you wouldn't fit in my church. <laughs> and now I go to our church. <laughs> but the point is, is they want to know, are you a real friend? Are you a real neighbor? Are you just trying to get me in your church? Or do you have an agenda? Are you a friend because of what I can offer you? Have you, have any of you seen the TV show? It's a new series just started. Uh, they had their third episode this week called The Good Doctor. Oh, yes. Anybody? I'm a crybaby. I get it. <laughs> that, that show makes me cry. Okay? Um, having friends who have autistic uh, kids, just that, that show gets me. But let me set it up for you for those of you who haven't seen the show, don't know anything about it. The pilot episode it introduces a young man. Um, his name is Sean Murphy. And he has highly functional autism, uh, which means that he's a brilliant kid, he's smart, but he has a really difficult time uh, communicating with people, okay? He doesn't know how to communicate, doesn't know how to really relate with people, so his social skills are terrible. But he has near-perfect memory and recall. So in this episode, he sees an injury, something happened, and he can recall class where he saw, he sees the heart beating and he sees every vein and valve and muscle in the heart and he can recall those and he can diagnose a situation like that because he has perfect recall. And so the episode starts and he's on his way to a job interview to become a surgeon at this doctor. He's just finished school and he's applying to become a surgeon at this, at this um, hospital. And on his way in the airport, he encounters an accident, and he's saving this kid's life. And he does the most unconventional things you can imagine. In fact, there's a doctor on site that's also trying to save the boy. And Sean Murphy takes over, and he just saves this kid. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So through this episode, they're taking this kid to the emergency room. And when they get there, Sean Murphy walks in and they're taking him. And Sean Murphy says this to the doctor who's receiving this child. Sean Murphy says, Echo, he needs an echo. Adam needs an echo. Echocardiogram, get him an echo. And she says, what? He doesn't need an echo. His heart's perfect. Thank you. And she keeps going. And, and he says, Echo, Adam needs an echo. And she says, who is this guy? She's being a jerk to him. And uh, one of the EMTs says, well, that's the kid who, who helped save his life, whatever, brought him in. She's like, okay, thank you. He said, he needs an echo. And she said, if you don't stop, you're going to be removed from the hospital. And so security grabs him and they kick him out of the hospital. He's actually at the hospital. He's supposed to be going and getting an interview for him. Later on in the episode, they're doing surgery on this kid. And the girl, the female doctor, she tells the other doctor, she said, do we need to give him an echo? And the doctor said, there's no medical reason at all, no sign. Why would you say that? No. The answer is no. She says, okay. Halfway through this surgery, something weird happens, and the doctor looks up, and he notices 
a glitch. The heart is still strong, but he notices a glitch. He looks at the doctor and he says, earlier you asked if we needed to give him an echo. Why did you say that? And she says, I don't know, some weird kid that brought him in. He said, he said, let's go find that kid right now. So they go find the kid. And they, they ask him, why did he need an echo? Why did you want us to give him an echo? And, and they're asking him all these questions, and he's, he's not sure how to respond. He just kind of balls up and shuts down, and he doesn't know how to finally. She says, listen, listen, you said that we should give him an echo. We don't understand why. And he starts to unload. He just starts to diagnose exactly why. And, and I'm not going to tell you the, all the details to it because it's too much, but ultimately they go in and they save this guy's life. So this doctor, this female doctor, has now encountered him twice. She's decided that he's a genius. She spent some time with him and realizes this guy is unbelievable. He is so good at what he does. He knows everything. So she's now starting to try to come back in and build a relationship with him. And so she sits down with him in the cafeteria. And this is the third encounter that they have. Hey. You're new to town, right? Yes. Well, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. No. Um, you got curious about the place, about the people. Dr. Glassman gave me a map of the hospital, and I got a map of San Jose online. Do you have one question? Yeah. Why were you rude to me when we first met, then nicer to me the second time we met, and now you want to be my friend? Which time was it that you were pretending? Wow. Wow. Why were you nice to me? Why were you rude the first time? Nice the second time, and now you want to be my friend. When were you pretending? I was thinking about this as we watched this episode. I've watched this episode about five times this week. And I was thinking, we just ordered flyers for our fall festival. And because we want to reach this community behind us. We want to reach this community. We want to reach my neighborhood. And so we're, start, we're fixing to start canvassing. But my fear is that they see us that way. That they go, oh, you have something at your church that you want us to be a part of? You need numbers? Are you my friend now? Or where were you when the hurricane hit? Or, or are you going to be my friend after the fall festival? Do you want to still come by after the fall festival? Are we going to still have a relationship? Which time were you pretending? And it makes you take a step back, doesn't it? And you guys can come. It makes you take a step back and go, wow. What's my agenda? What's my agenda as... As the pastor, let me tell you this. My agenda, first and foremost, is to get off the donkey. Because there's needs all around us. And so I'm asking you as a church right now to join me in that. That you'll make a commitment. You know what? As, as, as of right now, I'm getting off the donkey. I'm not riding anymore. I'm not coasting. I'm not enjoying the, the scenic view of of people around me. I'm not enjoying the blessings of God that he's given me. I'm getting off my donkey because there's work to do. There's people all around us 
in our Jericho Road that we have to literally step over. That we have to step over. There may be people that walked into this room right now, that are here right now, that you haven't even talked to, you haven't had a chance to introduce yourself to, and inside their life is hell. They are in so much turmoil. But in here, it's all hallelujah, praise the Lord, and we're all excited, and we're going to walk out of this place, and there's people that are going to die on our Jericho Road that we were right there, and we're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just leaving church, don't let me bother you. I'm sorry, I've got blood on my shoes. Right? And so, as I'm thinking about this, job number one is to, that we have to get off of our, of our donkeys. And so, we're doing that today. We're getting off the donkey. And, and today, we're saying, okay, Jesus, right now, we're off the donkey. We're on our Jericho road. And we're ready. We're ready to be diligent and, and attentive to the needs that are presented in front of us. Because there's a lot of needs in front of us. And as we go out and canvas, because we are going to go out and canvas. Our mission is not to see how many people we can get into a fall festival, but our, our mission is that we can make some kind of connection with somebody that we can start to build a real, genuine relationship with so that when they go through hell, I'm right there because I'm already off the donkey. I'm already waiting on them. I'm already ready. It's not about an event, but it's about a moment, a moment, a life moment where their destinies changed because I was available, because I was off the donkey. So think about that in your life right now, in your world, in your school, in your job, and in your own house, in your family, maybe with a brother or sister. Who is it that, that you see on a regular basis that you know they're in their Jericho Road, the way of blood, and they're broken, and they're damaged, and they need you. They need you. They don't need you in these four walls, lifting your hands and clapping and shouting and smiling. They need you outside these four walls to be His hands and His feet extended. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? God, I, I pray this morning that, that our eyesight changes. That our eyesight truly changes, God. And, and for the first time, maybe for, for some of us, maybe it's the first time ever. But God, I pray for the first time that we start seeing the Jericho Road like we've never seen it before. Our Jericho Road, the road that we're passing every day. God, the, the road that we're walking down and we're driving down and that we're working in every day, that we see those people who are lost and they're broken and they're dying. God, when, when we walk out of this place, then it'll be different. It'll, it'll be like for the first time the, the scales have been dropped from our eyes and we're seeing real needs of real people. God, no more loopholes. No more I'm shy or I'm broke or I don't have time 
or, or I just don't know what to say, God. But I pray that you help lead us to the right position, the right situation, that we do know what to say and we'll know what to say because your presence is in us. Your Holy Spirit will begin to speak through us, God, if we'll just get off the donkey and make ourselves available. So God, right now, in, in every life, everyone that has their head bowed and their eye closed, everyone within the sound of my voice, God, I pray, every, everyone that's listening, I pray right now, Jesus, that you'll begin to reveal people in our minds, people that are on the road, that we, we know that they're laying there in the road, that they are desperate for a touch from you. They're desperate for Jesus to come and heal their body. They're desperate for Jesus to heal their marriage. They're desperate for Jesus to awaken their spirit. They become numb to the pain, to the hurt. And God, I pray right now, Lord, that our eyes have changed this morning. And that the real mission starts when we walk out of this place. That, that we can't post online, wow, we had a great service today. And plus we walk out of this place and we become the great service. We become what you call us to be outside of this building. We love you, Father. We love you, Father Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We pray these things in your precious son's name. Come on, everybody said a big amen. Yeah. Come on, say amen. Can you believe that?